You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. You know, again, they come, they come hard, right? They dump a ton of pucks in, they come hard. Your wingers can come sometimes like in unexpected fashion. You know, we know that they're going to be coming all over us everywhere on the ice. Here they come again. There's a flag down at the line of scrimmage. I mean, obviously tough to swallow. Oh, I'm hard. Oh. Good morning, Vancouver. 6.01 on a Monday. What a start to the week, everybody. It is Halford. It is Brown. It is Sportsnet 650. In the words of Jamal Adams, yikes. Yikes. We are a serious sports show. And we are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Greg, you disgust me. <laughs> good morning, I guess. Halford and Brown of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. For now, experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, uh, I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in rainy <laughs> Vancouver. <laughs> okay. That's... Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Well, the in-basket is off to a good start. We got a big show today on a Monday. I want to say, this isn't to pat myself on the back or to tell everyone how much hard work I do, but I don't think I've ever put together more show notes in the history of Halford and Bruff on the radio. It's like eight pages of notes, four of them dedicated to Shohei Otani alone. Yeah. It was a weekend, Well, folks. there's a lot going on. David Amber is going to join us at 6.30 to talk hockey. Adnan at 7 o'clock to talk about Shohei Otani's decision to not come to Toronto, instead going to the LA Dodgers. Mike Tannier, lots to discuss with Mike Tannier. The the end of that Bills Chiefs game was something else. And some people are upset with the referees and some people are saying, What are you talking about, Chiefs? The guy was offside. He lined up offside. I don't know what you're complaining about. Kevin Woodley at eight talk a little Vancouver Canucks hockey. And we have not one but two ticket giveaways on the show today. The first Canucks tickets. Do you want to see Roberto Luongo go into the Ring of Honor on Thursday, December 14th against the Florida Panthers? If so, send in a what we learned. Hashtag it WWL. Tell us what you learned over the last 72 hours in sports. Dunbar number text line is 650-650. Put a ticket emoji into your text to be entered into the contest to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Panthers this Thursday. But Jason, that's not all. We have another pair of tickets to give away today. Also... WWE Fright Night Smackdown. Fright Night? Yeah. Isn't Halloween over? Why do they call it Fright Night? You know what? That's actually a really good question. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know, but I'm excited. Okay. January 5th. This is a good good decision. Maybe it's like the, I don't know, four days after New Year hangover. No, I agree. I caught that as well. They're like, Fright Night? Really? Regardless, we're giving away a pair of tickets to see WWE's Fright Night Smackdown at Rogers Arena on January the 5th. Uh, for that one... We're going to send in a flex emoji, as I do it on screen right now, for the dozens of watchers and viewers of the live stream. It's a flex emoji. 
Hashtag WWL. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports if you want to go see SmackDown in January? We're working, working out. Sorry? The flex. You've been working out. Yeah, I've been lifting. <laughs> Uh, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, Kevin Woodley, 7.30, Mike Tanier, 7 o'clock, Adnan, the singular named Adnan, Adnan Virk, and 6.30, David Amber will be joining us on the program. We're off to a great start. Let's keep it rolling. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them on the internet at bccsa.ca. On Saturday night at Rogers Arena, the Canucks won their second consecutive game in the row. The Carolina Hurricanes lost their fourth in a row. They're falling apart at the seams. Elias Patterson scored the go-ahead goal early in the third period, and the Vancouver Canucks defeated the Carolina Hurricanes 4-3. At Rogers on Saturday night. Okay, the Vancouver Canucks have played 28 games this season. They have won 18 of them. That's good. 18 of them, including 17 of those 18, have come in regulation, which I think is especially impressive. And Saturday's win over Carolina was one of the more impressive Unlike their start against Minnesota on Thursday, the Canucks controlled the game early. And though they let the Canes hang around and couldn't protect a two-goal lead, Elias Pettersson, he showed up when they needed him the most. He was the hero. Mm -hmm. The Canucks needed a hero in the third period, and they got one from Elias Pettersson. Petey was the game's first star, notching the game winner on a sneaky wraparound, wraparound goal. That took a lot of skill to pull off. Uh, Plus, he added a couple of assists on goals by Sam Lafferty and Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, It's a great sign. It was a great sign because the Canucks have needed Petey to start playing at a higher level. He wasn't on the lowest level possible, but he wasn't on the highest level. I'm still not sure if he's there yet, uh, but I thought this quote was telling. He said afterwards, and this was in a piece that uh, IMAC wrote, He said, listen, I'm always trying to be the best version or best player I can be every game. Honestly, sometimes it's not going the way you want. It's just always trying to find your way back to the groove. And that's like, that's what we've all been watching PD and thinking, whether it's injury or confidence or a combination of the two. He just wasn't in the groove. Mm -hmm. And we know that groove when we see it because we have seen it. And hopefully... Uh, this is a, a sign of better things to come. I really, you know, like everyone's going to talk about, everyone's going to talk about the, the wraparound goal, and rightly so. It was a nice goal, and it was the winner. But I really liked his assist on Mikheyev's goal. Uh, that was the goal that made it 2 nothing Vancouver because Petey got the puck, and he moved his feet to make a play. Uh, he beat Brett Pesci, who's a pretty good defenseman, and then fed Micaiah for the tap-in in front of the goal. I don't know what the Carolina defenseman who was supposed to be marking Micaiah was doing. He was just kind of standing there, maybe take a stick. But it's a type thank, of defending. You know what? Thank, you know, And that's maybe why Carolina is uh, not very happy with its play right now. But uh, thankfully he didn't. Micaiah was able to get the puck uh, and put it in. And you know, overall, it was a really entertaining game. Mm-hmm. But I liked that game a lot more 
then obviously the end because the Canucks won. But everyone was saying, like, the New Jersey game was so entertaining. I was like, mm, not for me. That looked like Bruce Boudreaux hockey. I've seen it before. I don't want to see it again ever again. Uh, the Canucks were better against Carolina. It was an impressive win. Uh, you said you liked the assist on the Ilya Mikheyev goal for Elias Pettersson. I like the assist that he got on the JT Miller goal to make it 3-1 Vancouver. Now, the traditional box score will say, wait a minute. He didn't get an assist on that goal. Hallie wasn't even on the ice. Rick Tockett spoke about it in the aftermath, about Petey exemplifying the collective unselfishness of the group. Do we have the audio here, Laddie? Let's hear from the head coach afterwards about another great Elias Pettersson play that didn't show up on the box score. Well, that's what I mean. You had a lot of assists on that play. Actually, when we scored, everybody was cheering and high-fiving it. And I went up to Petey. I said, you should get an assist on that play. That's the unselfishness. You know, if he stays on, who knows? But he comes off, Mills, he comes on at, you know, full bore. I mean, he came down the pipe. Like, nobody could have, you know, stopped him. He was, he, and then obviously it was a hell of a play by Hoggy, and I think it was uh, best. But uh, that's the stuff, you know, those are the staples we're looking for. So that was uh, in relation to a variety of questions that Tockett was asking about where he thought the team's game was at following the 4-3 win over Carolina. And he spoke about the staples, but he really got into great detail. It was actually a pretty engaging post-game audio clip because he talked about he sees the team in the last couple of games playing faster, not necessarily skating faster. I don't know speed holes in the side of them, but there's a certain directness that comes with the style of play. And he also pointed out that, especially against Carolina, uh, it, nobody looked tired later on in the game and nobody waned because everyone was keeping it to 30 to 45 second shifts. So I know uh, there was some news that broke over the weekend uh, relating to Andre Kuzmenko. We'll get to that later in the show. Uh, I want to talk about a few things first. Um, the state of the five-game homestand first for the Canucks. The Canucks uh, lost the first one with that entertaining but sloppy loss to the New Jersey Devils. They bounced back with a 2-0 win over Minnesota, where they really needed Casey to Smith to keep them in it early. I, they were just lifeless to start the game for the first, I don't know, 18 minutes. But credit for them, they turned it around. Uh, Minnesota had been playing well. Um, so they got the win in that, and that's the most important part. And then Saturday... Um, so I think you, we, we've seen a progression here. Like the New Jersey game was not good. Uh, defensively, it was sloppy. Minnesota, a bit of a baffling start to that game, especially after the New Jersey game. But they got the shutout. So, you know, they're doing something right defensively there. Uh, and Saturday, they beat the Canes. And although it was a close game, um, they deserved that win. And Carolina, despite the fact that they're in a bit of a tough stretch for them right now, that's a really good team in Carolina. And now the Canucks await Tampa Bay on Tuesday, and Tampa Bay beat the Canucks earlier in the season. That was the game they played after maybe their worst game of the season, which was the third game in Philadelphia. And then they host the Florida Panthers Thursday, and I might take the day off work that that day because I don't really want to relitigate the whole Roberto Luongo going into the Ring of Honor instead of having his jersey <laughs> revisited. But that night will feature Roberto Luongo going into the Ring of Honor. Uh, just one point on the two remaining games on the homestand. I wonder, and I probably would expect... Casey DeSmith to get one of these next two games, yep. especially since the Canucks have, after this five-game homestand, have a four games in six nights road trip. Um, I wouldn't, if I'm Rick Tockett, I'm like, well, I don't want Demko to get worn out. Um, 
Demko has certainly hasn't been bad. I'm not I'm not suggesting he's been bad, but I don't think he's been spectacular lately. And with Casey DeSmith coming off a shutout, like I just don't really see any sense in risking overplaying Thatcher Demko. Why not give Casey DeSmith one of these next two games? I thought Demko was really good in the first period against Carolina, especially at the end of the first period when they had the two-man yeah, oh yeah. two advantage. Well, was- listen, I'm saying he's like he's 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 playing well, yeah. but um, I think the bar is so high for us with Thatcher Demko that well, we're also- like any and, and, and I don't know. He just like you know we were wondering if he was injured last week too. I think you could possibly and more likely probably make a correlation between Demko having a strong game against the Carolina Hurricanes and having a night off the previous game when Casey DeSmith got the shutout yeah. against Minnesota. Get now, rested you, up. Look at the next two games, Tampa Bay and Florida. I would not be surprised if they go DeSmith Tuesday against Tampa Bay and then back to Demko Thursday against Florida. Because you pointed out a, a very important yeah. thing. From December 12th to December 23rd, so a stretch of 11 days, they're playing every other night, right? Tuesday, Thursday, Granted, they get the two nights off. They get Sunday and Monday off. But they're playing a pretty consistent schedule, especially on the road where they got to go Minnesota, Chicago, Nashville, and Dallas. They have a back-to-back on that road trip, don't they? Yeah, so it's good. It's a Saturday-Sunday against Minnesota and Chicago. So, I mean, you want to look at those games, and Chicago kind of is what it is at this point. Nashville's super erratic. I think that game in Dallas on the 21st is going to be another good measuring stick, litmus bar kind of game. Dallas will probably remember coming in. Coming into Rogers Arena and losing to the Vancouver Canucks, so I'm sure they'll be wanting to uh, take some revenge for that. Yeah. Uh, now, do you want to get into the Andre Kuzmenko stuff now no. or back table it? Because we also have to talk about that minor baseball story over the yeah. Weekend. Let's let's save. We'll we'll talk about Andre Kuzmenko um, after we speak with David Amber. I want to get into what happened Friday, sure, and then what happened Saturday in baseball on Friday. It sure felt like Shohei Otani was going to become a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. And on Saturday, reality hit the Blue Jays fan base right in the face. And even though I consider myself like I'm a Blue Jays fan, I'm not as hardcore as a guy like Laddie. Uh, I used to be when I was a kid. Uh, For whatever reason, I'm not as hardcore anymore. So I have to admit, on Saturday... I was having a pretty good chuckle at how it all played out because it was very Toronto sports. Okay, so how did it play out, you may be asking. I'm going to try and go through this as quickly as possible without sounding like Mr. Testaverde from Saved by the Bell. Let's not bury the lead. Let's start with the big news that Shohei Otani is a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. The two-time AL MVP announced via Instagram on Saturday that he was on his way to the Doyers. The deal is for 10 years and... This is not a typo. $700 million. $700 million for Shohei Otani to join the Dodgers. So, what happened? How did we get here? Why is Laddie crying right now? Okay, so what happened first? The flight. Late Thursday. So, when we got on the air on Friday, we had word that there was some sort of flight going from John Wayne Airport in Anaheim directly to Toronto. Not a common flight pattern. Not a common flight path. So, people started tracking that one, thinking that, hey... Maybe it's Shohei Otani on his way to Toronto. Then the sushi reservation. This one also happened when we were on the air on Friday. A Canadian opera singer by the name of Clarence Fraser. I have no idea, but it seems perfect and befitting for this story that a Canadian opera singer became an MLB insider. He threw out there on Twitter that you say Kikuchi, a good friend of Shohei Otani's, 
had bought out an entire high-end sushi restaurant near Rogers Center for a celebratory dinner. Again, you want to connect the dots? Shohei's totally coming to Toronto. Then there were a pair of actual bona fide media reports out there. The first was MLB Network's John Morosi, who said that sources had confirmed to him that Otani was on his way to Toronto. Then a Southern California-based member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, J.P. Hurnstra, put it out on Twitter that Otani had chosen the Blue Jays and that he had turned down the Dodgers. So at this point, Friday- there was word of press conferences like within our company too. Like we we were kind of like our I remember our, like our chat. Yes, uh, we were like, are we are we gonna? Larry Barker jumped on. Yeah, like yeah. are we gonna have the Otani presser live on six fifty? Obviously, we have to, right? This is about Friday afternoon ish. Mm-hmm. Everything looks like Otani. Oh my God, is coming to Toronto. And then things started to fall apart. The flight from John Wayne Airport that was supposed to have Shohei Otani on it, that wasn't him. It was actually Santa. It was the dude from Dragon's Den. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Robert Herjavich. Thought it was Santa. So that was a bit of a Imagine him getting off that plane like, uh, hello, everybody. (laughs) There were rumors actually before it landed that it was him because the plane's call letters had his initials in it. It was RH that ended with. So there was actually rumors going around already saying, hey, it could actually be this guy, not Otani. But then I think in an important moment for journalism over the weekend, the story got verified when the human being actually stepped off the plane (laughs) and they said... That's not Shohei Otani. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. were like, we can run with this. <laughs> so that's the first where the screw started to turn a little bit. Then John Morosi retracted his earlier report that Shohei Otani was on his way to Toronto. So now we're into Friday evening and it's like, hmm, well, there's still enough smoke out there to think that the fire is still burning strong for Toronto. We'll wait and see what happens on Saturday. And then on Saturday, Shohei Otani signed for the Dodgers. It was... A remarkable 24 to 48 hours. Uh, There was about a million sidebar stories about the current state and modern state of journalism and the social media age. (laughs) A lot of a lot of thoughts put out there. Listen, I just want to put out a a 10 tweet thread here about the state of journalism. Do you give any staples to the fact that people think this was all put on by Shohei Otani's agency? Well, I, uh, well, I, I really have to wonder if the Jays ever had a chance here. And I would love to know exactly who John Morosi's sources were on this. And this is something that, unfortunately for John Morosi, he's going to have to wear probably for the rest of his career. Was it someone from the Otani camp or someone related to the Otani camp? Because the whole concern here, the overriding concern here from Blue Jays fans and media when... We found out that the Jays were involved in the Otani sweepstakes. Was uh, is the Otani camp just using them? What did to, you refer to, to them as? Yes. A stalking a horse. A stalking horse. Yes, capital right? yes. Yeah. Capital Y with the yes. Like I said yes, that on the air. You guys asked me about it. I said I'm I'm just worried that they're using yeah, yeah. the Jays because everyone uh, listen now. Now that he's signed with the Dodgers, everyone's like. Yeah, that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. he, he wants to stay on the West Coast, uh, L.A. Um, you know. Close-ish. Stuff's already the there. Close, the closest Stuff you can get to uh, Japan, um, you know, um, and the Dodgers have been 
you know, interested in signing Otani for a long, long time. Like ever since he's been in North America, actually probably before then, right? And they have the, the, the resources, they have the money. They're a good team, which allows him to go to a place like they're, they're certainly proven winners. And if that's what Otani wants, then it's going to make sense. And like maybe what they needed was just one team with deep pockets and big aspirations to bid up this contract for Otani. I mean, my I think the biggest and most accurate takeaway from this is that we're always going to have more questions than answers with this saga. Because I don't think, call me crazy, but I don't think Shohei Otani is going to conduct a press conference in which he answers all of these very, very pressing questions about what happened with Toronto. I think it's all going to get left to rumor and innuendo and speculation, much like the entire saga with Otani potentially going to the Jays. Like, I don't know anything about this chase because I'm not sure what was fact and what was fiction over the last 72 hours. Mm -hmm. There was so much misinformation. There were so many leaks. There were so many rumors. Did you enjoy it? Was Did you have fun with it? I, yeah. I loved it. I, it thought was, it was, I thought it was very, very enjoyable. It was entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how good it was for the collective because I think a lot of people ended up looking bad than looking good. Well, in the also end of got it. The, it also <laughs> got the hopes up of Blue Jays fans um, and Toronto fans, which is, again, I was chuckling a little bit because Toronto fans always get their hopes up. And most of the time, you know, their their hopes are dashed in kind of a spectacular way. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I kind, of, I kind of found it funny, but it was, it, I don't know. It, I, I know. I know what you're saying about... You know whether or well, not it I mean, was, okay, it was just good hold on a second. overall. Just, like if it's the end game, is, I wonder how the Blue Jays are going to pivot here. I really do. If the end game, and this is the end game, is that one of the highest spending, most lucrative, uh, richest organizations in baseball got the best player, it's kind of a downer. Like to be honest, Otani going to the Dodgers was the least interesting part of this whole saga yeah, to me. For sure. For sure. You know yeah, I mean? no, no. That, like, that's a very good point. The yeah. Dodgers already had Mookie Betts and Clayton Kershaw. And they've been they were, gearing it for two years to sign Otani, it feels yeah. like. We all and saw this like, coming. He left the small media market of Los Angeles to join a big market team in Los Angeles. So like how, it, you know. how are the Blue Jays going to pivot? Laddie, you said uh, that you've got something on this. What do you Yeah, got? Blair and Barker were on. They had a special episode to talk about the Otani sweepstakes. And then uh, once the news came down that Otani wasn't signing with the Jays, it kind of pivoted to where do they go next? Where What's the Jays' options in this offseason? Now that Soto's gone, Otani's off the board, what do the Jays do next? you got to start making decisions here and start making them Blue Jays. And that, for me, is the intriguing part of all this. I think a lot of options are on the table. I know that they would love to entertain the possibility of moving George Springer. Um, this team needs more power in the middle of the order. It needs more power. If it's from the left side, so much the better. And they, they'll basically, they're in a position right now where, where they would move anything, probably other than Bo and Vladdy and one of their starting pitchers to get that. So we'll see what the Jays have to do over the rest of the offseason. They're probably going to go on a bit of a, the back burner for our show. 
unless they pull something what? crazy off. Yeah, yeah. they are. Sorry. That's, it was a Sorry. Da- That's a real bummer. There's already Bellinger rumors. Oh, great. Ooh. Cody Bellinger's well, girlfriend posted a picture of the CN Tower on her right. Instagram. Oh, oh, yeah. When are they flying out? We'll track that flight. <laughs> um, we're going to talk to David Amber next. Uh, we'll talk about the Edmonton Oilers who are doing that thing that we all knew they could but weren't sure they were going to. They have now won seven straight games. They are back to NHL 500. They were all the way down at 5-12-1 after that loss in Carolina. Maybe Carolina is the place where you go and have rock bottom. The Edmonton Oilers had Carolina had rock bottom in uh, Carolina. Remember when Elias Pettersson had rock bottom in Carolina? A few years ago. Maybe that's what happens. Uh, Edmonton has since won seven in a row. They are now 12-12-1. Still, I believe, out of the playoff picture. But I think we're all looking at this team now and going, yeah, they're probably going to make the playoffs. So we'll talk to David Amber about the Edmonton Oilers. I also want to talk to David Amber about hitting from behind. Is there any consistency in no. these calls no. anymore? No. It was a rough weekend for the NHL. You know, I remember playing minor hockey a long, long time ago, and there were a spate of really bad injuries of, you know, unfortunately kids getting paralyzed because mm-hmm. there were hits from behind. And they had a crackdown on hitting from behind, and that's why we all have the, you know, in minor hockey you have the the stop sign yep. on the back of your jersey. That, that all started when I was playing minor hockey a long, long time ago. And um, there was just like absolutely no gray area. If there was a hit from behind, it didn't matter if the guy had turned. It didn't matter if he shoulder-checked first. and yep. But if there was a hit from behind, close to the boards or even away from the boards, you were out of the game. Yep. You were gone. They cracked down, and the NHL um, – you know, I wonder, I'm not saying they should do something like that. I'm definitely not saying that, but there's an inconsistency with hitting from behind along the boards. Sometimes it's like, you're out of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Five minute major. And sometimes it's like nothing at all. And that kind of all boiled over uh, in a game between the Florida Panthers and the Columbus Blue Jackets. And Erica Branson finally went like, I've had enough of this. Yep. I'm going to get hit from behind. You know what? I'm going to take care of business myself you're listening to the best of halford and bruff you're listening to the best of halford and bruff On a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at Campbell-Pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go. He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. That's Hyundai. Get the pronunciation right, folks. White Rock Hyundai. Joining us now, Kevin Woodley, NHL.com, In Goal Magazine, here on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Kev? How you doing? I'm good. My work here is done. Everybody can pronounce it now. Yeah, that was uh, the only pronunciation I ever got right 
from the beginning. Usually I mangle it and then sometimes I correct it, sometimes I don't, but this one I got right. Um, you know what? We're going to, are we going to avoid, I'm looking at Bruff right now, are we going to avoid the obvious conversation here? We only get to talk to Woodley once this you week. You can have it if you want. Thursday night, Roberto Luongo, Ring of Honor. Are you ready to relitigate? Oh, you guys just want to talk the whole time about this, I can tell. Yeah, do you, mm-hmm. want, do you want to start relitigating it now? Do you want to wait for a couple minutes? How do you want to go about this? It's going to, look, I, can we just, we may as well address the elephant in the room or on the ice or wherever he's going to be. Uh, it's obviously awkward. It's obviously weird. It's obviously, I don't want to say a slap in the face because it's not, but... Just work me through this, Kev. Help me with this one. Where are you on this whole debate that is going to be raging inevitably as we get closer to Thursday? I don't know. I just keep looking at all these. Like, they've done a nice job of promoting Thursday on social media. And, yeah, there's merch that comes with it, um, hoodies and bobbleheads and things to sell. Um, but every time I see the numbers and, and what they post, I'm like, yeah, this, this all kind of screams hanging in the rafters. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's... That's kind of where I'm at, right? Like nothing's changed, you know, and, and you can say that he wanted out, um, that, you know, that he, that he asked for a trade. And there's another jersey hanging in the rafters of a guy who asked for a trade a lot more pointedly and did a lot more sort of, like it actually predates me, but if I'm not mistaken, held out to get it. Um, the reality is, The reality is Roberto Luongo was shopping or was talking about looking at property here in Vancouver before Torts sat him out for the – the out, quote unquote outdoor game, the Heritage Classic, and and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And new agent had a deal facilitated within days, and maybe it just needed to happen because there was always going to be another Heritage Classic moment waiting to happen for him here in Vancouver. But when you add all he did um, on the ice uh, to the Olympic gold, like I know it's not a Canucks thing, but it's in that like it's in that building, right? Like it happened here. It was a, it was a huge moment, and that was him. Um, it's just hard for me not to feel like, hey, and I'm biased, but it's hard yeah. for me to feel like it shouldn't go up into the rafters. And, you know, hey, hey if you want to make the Kirk McLean argument, um, especially considering what he's meant since 94 to this team as well, like as an ambassador and all the amazing things that Kirk does, man, put them both up there. I got no problem with it. If you're going to retire the number, retire the number. So, I mean, you got Casey DeSmith sworn his whole career. He's obviously not putting it on when he gets here. I don't see anybody else doing it in the future either. So, Hang the bloody thing in the rafters. Do you think the Canucks are going to be able to, I guess, focus the conversation where they want it? Uh, and that is to actually honor Roberto Luongo. I mean, it is the ring of honor. There are some pretty good players in that ring of honor. Um, do you think Do you think we're going to be able to have, like, kind of a pure conversation about this without you know, in the back of our minds going, should be in, should be retired, should be retired, because that's the problem with having, like, a lower tier of honor. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, the top tier of honor is getting your number retired, and then the ring of honor, uh, it's kind of like, it's great for certain guys to get into the ring of honor, but in the back of our minds, when a, when a guy like Luongo, who's first ballot Hall of Famer, I was doesn't saying, get in the it, Hall of Fame, that's you know, where it ends for me. You're yeah, like, no, you're like I, yeah. are, we, are, are the Canucks going to be able to pull this off, or is this going to be awkward the whole time? I, I don't know if it'll be awkward because he won't make it awkward. Right? Like, like yeah. the way he handled this last year will probably continue this week, and um, maybe, maybe the conversations are... and. 
I honestly, I just don't know. I don't know, right? Like, it, it, I'm I'm torn. Um, it is a celebration, a celebration of a great career. It just feels like it's a celebration that goes one step too short. And some people will be able to take it for what it is, that celebration. And some people, you know, like myself, will have a little bee in their bonnet. Um, Kev, what do you think the Canucks should do about uh, deploying their their goalies uh, this week? They got Tampa Bay on Tuesday, then of course the Florida game on Thursday. Uh, Demko has played two of the five-game homestand, but Casey DeSmith, when he went in there, played well and he got a shutout. So do you give him another one of these games at home? You know, I'm going to be honest with you because it's been such a busy stretch here. I haven't, like, I know they've got a bit of a grind of a schedule right after. Yeah, this they do. They do four games ends. and six nights after. Yeah, exactly. So I think you save it for then. Um, I think, you know, in part given the uh, the stature of the teams coming in and, and Listen, Tampa's, Tampa's middling right now, and everybody will be like, oh, they didn't have their goaltender, but the reality is they've sort of dropped into a bottom third defensive team as well over the last two years. So the team that leans heavily on its goaltender, and, and Vassie's just sort of trying to find his legs a little bit here. Um, but Florida's a wagon, right? So one of the few teams in the NHL with better underlying defensive numbers than the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, these, these are kind of big games. Um, finally won back-to-back consecutive games here the first time since mid-November. It feels like they need to get on a bit of a roll, and you're going to need Casey for that road trip. So I would suspect it's Thatcher both here. Um, what do you think of what's going on in Tampa Bay? I can't get a handle on this team because they are very inconsistent. You know, and, and I think they've just bled talent, right? Like, that's what happens when you win and the salary cap. Like, you just keep having pieces knocked off around the edges and and so you rely more on singular brilliance the singular brilliance of a, of a Nikita Kucherov um, they're still flirting with a top 10 team offensively but it's in their own end and that's the other part of this right like it's hard to get guys to defend hard playing the same way year in and year out like that's what's amazing about the job John Cooper has done as that personnel changes they need more of it I know the narrative is Andre Vasilevsky is the greatest goaltender in the world hell we were probably the first ones at Ingold to say I think this guy's the greatest goaltender in the world it was a long time ago pre-cups but the reality is to win you need more than that and when they won their cups they were an elite defensive team as well, and that's kind of eroded. And, you know, part of it is just personnel, as I mentioned, but part of it is it's like it's really hard to get even the guys that stick around to grind for 82 um, when you played as much hockey as they have, like yeah. to, to buy into what it takes. And I think you know, this is a term that used to get loved and, and hated around Vancouver, but I think to a certain degree defensively teams like that, like there is a bit of a switch to flip. Um, like, hey, we can get away with this for this long, and now it's time to play like that because that, we know that's what it takes defensively to win in the postseason. So, Kev, right now, who would you say is the best goalie in the world? In the world? Oh, man. That's a, that's I feel like you would have like an, uh, a kind of like a, a power rankings that you check every day on this sort of thing. I don't. I don't. I told someone asked me about a, a raw save percentage the other day, and I'm like, I don't even look at that anymore. Like, <laughs> what's a raw save percentage? What the hell are we talking about here? Um, like, to me, this is a conversation that, you know, includes Thatcher Demko, includes, I, like, Andre Vasilevsky still holds the title until somebody takes it away from him. Um, just in part, it's not just the performance. Like, even last year, I talked about they, they they slipped significantly defensively. The year before that, they slipped significantly defensively. Like, the, there's a reason um, the sort of cup runs end. 
And and Andre was the reason that nobody noticed those things uh, in terms of the slippage defensively and, and what they give up. So and, and then the workload, right? Like what he's done over the past number of years, and I realize I'm saying this right after back surgery and, and maybe finally some questions about whether he'll be able to do this for, for this much longer, but it's still him just based on, on pedigree. And, you know, there's a number of guys that sort of knocking on that door. There's the Russians, there's Shesterkin, there's Sorokin, there's Demko, um, a handful of American greats. And, and then you see Saros is heating up again, as he always tends to do after as we get later in the season. And I think he'll be in the Vesna conversation. So um, for me, Saros is a guy that, that should have been a Vesna finalist last year and can, can probably challenge to be a big part of this conversation for the best goalie in the world. Um, it's it's weird. It's not as deep a conversation as it used to be, and yet there's less certainty at the top of it. You know, it's funny when we talk, you mentioned the American goaltending there, and we talk about, well, there's Demko, and there's Hellebuck, and there's all these guys, um, Ottinger. Do we now have to, like, start mentioning that Jonathan Quick is back in the mix? Because I can't believe this. He's 37 years old. He's 8-0-1. Like, he's playing a lot, He's too. the Joe Flacco of the NHL. It's crazy. And he did it again last night against the Kings in what was a very emotional game for him. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the Rangers have been a wagon. They've been really good. But this Jonathan Quick story, it's actually pretty cool. I don't love the guy, but it's a cool story. Yeah, no, hey, listen, and this is one, uh, I, you know, I always like to pull up the back padding machine when I get the odd thing right. This is one I got wrong, like, like big time. Um, he, I, I thought that was a mistake. They got such good minutes out of Yaroslav Halak, especially in the second half of last season. And there was just nothing about Quick's performances statistically over the past two years that said this was coming, right? Like even, like, even when he went to Vegas and won a cup, like, they kept sort of going through goaltenders, and the next man up wasn't Jonathan Quick. Like, even if Aiden Hill had gotten hurt, oh, my information is if they could have got, you know, held his body together with bailing wire, they would have gone to Logan Thompson ahead of Quick. And this is a goalie coach in Sean Burkett in, in Vegas that has similar philosophies to what Benoit Lair, because he learned them from him, Benoit Lair teaches in, in New York. And I thought, well, it didn't work with Sean. It hasn't worked for a couple of years. What says it's going to work here? And, you know, when I watched him play ahead of their visit here, I did notice. They, like, he had – he was no longer the crazy, super hyper-aggressive John and the Quick. Like, they'd back that off in L.A., and that's where the process started. But it seems to have taken even another step here um, with the New York Rangers. Like, I watched a couple games, and the most aggressive I saw him, and it was rarely at that, was the heels at the edge of his crease. And so – He's, he, he thinks the game at a really high level. He still can do it physically. It's just, does he put himself in a position to make things simple? And, and right now he is. And full marks to him. Talk to him a little bit about what this meant to be back playing for a team he grew up cheering for. And, and it is a great story, and I'm sort of glad it happened. I'm, I'm glad I was wrong on this one. And to be honest, he's like... Yeah, he's he's actually outperforming on a per shot basis. A guy that I just sort of included in the best goalie in the world mix, and Igor Shosturkin. So it's uh, it's a hell of a story. We're speaking to Kevin Woodley here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Kevin is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Uh, visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or WhiteRockHyundai.com. Uh, we talked a lot last week in the aftermath of the Board of Governors meetings in Seattle about international competition because it looks as though we're getting closer and closer to having uh, what the NHL's plans are going to be and then the hopefully Olympic uh, participation as well. If you had to pick a starting goalie for Team Canada right now, 
this day of our Lord, December 11th, 2023, who is the number one Canadian netminder right now? What if I told you amidst all the consternation about Canadian net mining that there are three in the top 10 of goals saved above expected on ClearSight Analytics list right now? And I'd, be, fact, I'd be happy. The top two are both Canadian because Demko slipped out of that role in this, these last few games where they're not giving up shots but still just enough quality for the goals to go in. So you're not sort of piling up the, the goals saved above expected. Demko's actually slipped behind these two. Number one is Jordan Bennington, who is no longer trying to get his face punched in but actually just focused on stopping pucks in St. Louis. And I should add, has done that quite well since he won the Cup. Yeah. Um, the narrative that's bad there it, surrounding the Blues isn't... Like, the bad narrative is that they're good defensively. They're not, and they haven't been for a while, and Bennington's been really good. And Aiden Hill's number two. Yeah. And then I go further down the list, backstopping a team that nobody expected to be where they are at this point in the season, and a guy who has some pedigree himself, Carter Hart. So I don't know that it's quite as dire um, as we might have made out not that long ago. Like, Aiden Hill, prior to the injury um, that he sustained here in Vancouver, actually, leaving that game after the second period... Uh, was out doing what he did in the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. And, yeah, hey, listen, like, Vegas plays a system that, that, that is good defensively, but when they give up chances, they're chances that fit Aiden's strengths. Like, they, they're, they're perfect fit, goaltender to system. And that's part of this. But he's played at a really, really high level. Did it all through the playoffs? I said after they won the Cup, as much as, you know, there are other people for, for the con Smythe, the level he played at in the playoffs, if you do that for a regular season, all season, you win Vesna trophies. And he's actually been slightly better this year. So don't sleep on him. Uh, obviously, I think Bennington would probably lead the way as long as the antics are, are something they can control. And then Carter Hart is back in the mix after sort of taking a big dip the last couple of seasons. Okay, so make a pick. Who's the guy? I just want to see Jordan Pennington just for just to see just to see what would happen if, it, if things got a little sideways. Like, does, does he feel like he needs to light a fire under Team Canada? Um, it would probably be Bennington right now. And then here, this becomes a very big conversation too. These are three guys with different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and as much as we focus on Vegas and Hill and and the fit there, like I think. Whoever picks this team can't just be like, ah, oh, here's all the great players and here's the great... Like, you have to actually think about how are you going to play, what style, and sort of choose. Like, what are we willing to give up? Every team gives up great A's. What type of great A's are, willing, are we willing to give up? And will it fit this guy or that guy? Kev, thanks a lot for doing this day, bud. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the week as we get closer to Referendum Thursday. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll do this again soon. I'm expecting my radio hits per 60 to pick up this week with Roberto in town. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they will. Thanks, Kev. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Uh, Kevin Woodley from NHL.com and InGoal Magazine here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I think you just meant thanks, guy. Thanks, guy. Thanks, guy. No, Bruff. Um, Not your buddy, guy. <laughs> let's do what we learns. Uh, I'm going to do the Ethan Bear thing because we... Played one earlier in the show from 32 Thoughts as it pertained to Andre Kuzmenko. New 32 Thoughts pod dropping today. Is it out yet, guys? Do we know yet? Do yeah, we know I if just it's live? Okay. So we we aired a teaser from Elliot and Jeff earlier about Andre Kuzmenko following up on Frege's report from Saturday that the Canucks were taking calls on the oft-maligned Russian winger who only has four goals this year. Um, he would then follow it up with another clip. We also have a little bit more on Ethan Bear. For the longest time, it sure seemed as though 
Ethan Bear was going to become a member of the Vancouver Canucks. I don't want to say it was fait accompli, but it sure sounded like the Canucks and Bear were content in playing the waiting game as he recovered from shoulder surgery from an injury that he suffered at the Worlds, and that he would one day be reunited with the team that he closed last year with. Well, maybe not so fast. What do we got here, Laddie? We got some audio from Friedrich Merrick from 32 Thoughts. More on the Ethan Bear situation. You summed it up pretty well. Okay, do we have a potential suitor? You know what? We I'm do. not even going to try and spoil it. Let's just hear now. 32 Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman, Jeff Merrick, the latest on Ethan Bear. You know, I think it, it sounds like it's going to be Washington. It, it sounds like the Capitals... Um, are the team here. No 100% confirmation, but, um, you know, there were a few teams that were in on Bear that pointed me in that direction, said they think that Washington um, has been aggressive. Um, the other thing that they said is that um, they are, like a bunch of teams were hoping to get Bear in for whatever they could this year, and would then sign him to another contract in the summer. And, you know, Washington, it sounds like, is prepared to offer a little bit of term. So there's an advantage to Bear taking their taking their offer now as opposed to teams that will say, hey, we'll sign you now and then we'll do something in the summer. Because I can understand Ethan Bear wanting a bit more security after what he's been through. Now, we'll find out if all of this turns out to be true, but that's what other teams suspect. So I think uh, the Canucks, if they have a hesitancy uh, of giving Ethan Bear a term, I don't blame them one bit um, because we don't know what he's going to look like returning from this injury. Um, And the Canucks still have some huge decisions to make on the back end. We expect them to re-sign Philip Peronek. Right? What the number is going to be? Is it going to be a tough nego- negotiation? It might be, but we expect them to be back. So you got Hronik and you got Hughes, and you've got Susie. Those are the only three guys that we can pretty much say, yeah, they'll be back next season. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Tyler Myers a pending UFA, Nikita Zorov pending UFA, Ian Cole pending UFA. Even like you got Mark Friedman, he's he's pending UFA. Yeah. Right. What certainty is it for the rest of the team? And in a way, I kind of think the Canucks, they just don't want to commit. They don't, they don't want to sit there and go, okay, we've got this Ethan Bear contract that's just kind of annoying to us, right? When mm-hmm. we're trying to do this stuff, yep. right? And Ethan Bear might want like a $2 million cap hit. And even though the cap is going up next season, the Canucks have an OEL buyout that they're dealing with. So that's going to take some of that rise in the salary cap out and they've also got to give again they've got to give PD a big raise they've got to give Hronik a big raise the more flexibility you have the better for any team and you might say well it's only like a small contract to Ethan Barris like yeah but they all count we've seen this yeah um it's a weird I kind of dug into the Washington thing a little more and it's a weird sort of fit because on the right side, if they're going to go right-handed, like they've kind of got those spots filled in Washington. It's Carlson, Nick Jensen, and then JVR's brother TVR. And they is TVR still in the in the league? Yeah, and he plays regularly. But I guess you can play oh. both sides. I guess the bigger thing is um, if Washington Washington did express interest in Bear when he was a healthy scratch in Carolina, and they were ready to move him. Remember yeah. that? So Washington was one of the teams rumored to be interested. So I guess it's not hugely surprising. But um, 
they're kind of, like Washington's kind of a a middling team. I'm surprised that they would want to offer. Yeah, it is weird to me. It's yeah, weird to me. Right? I guess there's something there that maybe doesn't necessarily meet the eye. Or maybe I granted I don't know a ton about the Washington Capitals blue line depth, <laughs> but um, I do know that at, at first blush it was kind of like, well, this isn't exactly like screaming out for a need for this team that's also kind of in this weird holding pattern. I guess if they're looking to stay in a quote-unquote competitive window, mm-hmm. bringing in a guy like Bear who can produce points, right? I mean, he can give them something that maybe they're lacking on the back end. But as it pertains to the Vancouver Canucks, you know, I've got enough faith in both pro scouting and Alvin's ability to make deals and make trades in this market that they can address what they either want or need um, in other ways than just signing Bear off the street. And maybe, again... It's weird having faith in the management to find guys, huh? I'm very happy with the... I'm very happy with the work that they've done on the trade trade market for two Mm -hmm. reasons. One, you have to give them context that it's an incredibly difficult landscape to make a deal. The Vancouver Canucks, Patrick Alvin, Jim Rutherford, and everybody else represent, what, 60% of the trades that have gone on in the NHL this year? Close to it. So they get credit for that. They also get credit for the fact that a lot of the things that they have targeted and identified have been great. I think Lafferty was a good find. Um, I liked all of the moves that they made in free agency, that they were sort of guys that fit what talk about wanted getting to Casey DeSmith. Casey DeSmith was a very nice move. Uh, you know, uh, and they've moved Ian Cole on a one-year deal. They've moved been, pieces on the know? chessboard, right? Beauvillier out, Zadorov in. They've mm-hmm. done a nice job. It's it's very competent management. So and it's like a chessboard that has way too many pieces on it. Well, that's the problem. It's like right? it's very difficult to move. There's not enough squares. <laughs> There's too many horsies. <laughs> All right, give us a moo cow on that. What we learned. Get you what we, we learned. Moo cow that horse. A lot of animal noises. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.